Greetings, brethren. Welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. So great to have you all with us this evening. Uh, it's just amazing how uh, we're still able to gather, even if it's just virtually, uh, but it matters. And we're able to encourage one another and strengthen one another. So thank you so much, brethren, for joining this evening. God willing, we'll cover um, Psalms 94 and 95 this evening. Uh, at least that's the plan, uh, assuming the technology will hold out. And uh, we're in the enthronement psalms. So all of these psalms so far in this um, book four uh, have to do with the victory of Christ as king uh, over the earth. And in fact, if you missed our service on Sabbath, uh, hopefully most of you are following us on Sabbath as well as Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, Deacon Jan gave a wonderful message on um, the Psalm 2, which is the, the declaration of Christ as king. And uh, God himself declaring Christ his only begotten son. And, and this was uh, an amazing message. And it really does tie into what we're covering in terms of these enthronement psalms. Because that was the, the psalm, Psalms 1 and 2, really set the theme for the whole psaltery. So if you missed that, uh, brethren, it's in the archive. Uh, please, uh, don't. it's one of those sermons that is fundamental and should not be missed. Let's open with a word of prayer. And uh, let's get into Psalm 94 and 95 for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, great God Almighty, we come before your throne as we always do, Lord, faithfully, uh, just thanking you that uh, here we are uh, in the year uh, 2020 as we count time, uh, thousands of years later than the writings that we're about to study together. Uh, we just thank you, Father, that you've put it in our hearts to desire to study your word, and, and we thank you, God, for the stability that it gives us in such an unstable world. Truly, Father, you are our light. You light our way. You're our rock. You're our salvation. We rejoice in you, Father. and We, we rejoice in the opportunity that we have to study, uh, to be strengthened and established in your truth. And we just pray, Father, that as iron sharpens iron, uh, even though we may not be able to fellowship uh, personally, that we can still, even if it's virtually, uh, find creative ways to support one another, edify one another, and, and point one another to the return of Christ. Thank you, Father. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, yes, brethren, we're going to uh, cover Psalm 94 and 95 this evening. So, Psalm 94, uh, verse 1, it just jumps right in. There's no introduction here. It's just... Uh, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, show yourself. So it, it starts out with a very strong declaration to say that, uh, and it, it's repeated. And, and, you know, in Hebrew poetry, we see repetition for style, but often for emphasis. And this is clearly for emphasis. Oh Lord, and you can almost hear the desperation the way that the psalm begins. And again, remember, these are the enthronement psalms, the acknowledgement of Christ as king, the rightful ruler over the earth. Oh Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. Oh God, Jehovah, to whom vengeance belongs. It's really clear. Vengeance belongs to God. This is not our purview to take revenge. It belongs to God. And because it belongs to God, the plea the earnest plea of, the, of the, the, the worshiper is for God to show himself, which means he's hidden. And he says uh, in Isaiah that he will hide himself from Jacob. 
And so Jacob is in trouble because God is hiding himself. And now this faithful worshiper, understanding that vengeance belongs to God, is calling out to Jehovah to show himself. Lift up yourself, you judge of the earth. So, so here, uh, the worshiper of Jehovah understands that God is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of the whole earth. He's the God of the whole universe. And it doesn't matter whether the human being acknowledges the God of Israel or not. He is still the judge of the earth. And it's irrelevant what men believe or don't believe. What is relevant is reality. And the reality is this God is the judge of the earth. And this worshiper understands this and is pleading for the God of Israel to show himself and to judge the earth and to put the earth right. Render a reward to the proud. So, so you know, people, human beings can be very nasty. And, and this is uh, clearly uh, our, the case for us today in today's world. Uh, we are seeing incredible levels of wickedness and mischief. And we are living through, you know, we hear this throughout 2020. I think we've heard this so many times, the word unprecedented. I think it's the, the word of the year, unprecedented. We truly are living in unprecedented times in many ways. And, and in many ways, nothing is new under the sun. So there are things that we can search for in the scriptures to see the patterns of behavior that just are cycles, that just keep repeating themselves, although they keep getting more and more extreme, ultimately culminating in a time of trouble for Jacob, the likes of which throughout the entire history of mankind, the world has never seen. So I think it's appropriate as we uh, heat up to this final you know, climax, it's appropriate to use the word unprecedented. And we are seeing this unprecedented mischief. So he says here, lift up yourself, you judge of the earth. So, so in other words, God is very humble and he's hidden. And he's not, he's not lifting himself up right now. Satan is lifting himself up. But this, the, this, the psalmist understands there's going to be a time when God is going to present himself to mankind and judge the earth. And at that time, he's pleading for God to render a reward to the proud. Now, this speaks to our time. Even though this is written thousands of years ago, we as Christians today in quote-unquote the modern world, our current world, uh, this is entirely our situation. We are helpless before these powerful governments. And, and you know we are like sheep to the slaughter. And they will decide whatever edicts and judgments they make, being very antichristic, you know, designing these edicts to go against Christ. They hate Jesus Christ, and they want to prevent the worshipers of God from doing what God, you know, it's like Pharaoh, let my people go that we may worship our God. Um, and so we find ourselves in the same predicament and, and with the same plea that, that vengeance belongs to God. We know this. And we want God to show himself and to judge the earth. Now, if we look in the New Testament, I, we, don't, we don't really want to use these, this language, Old Testament, New Testament. So there's the Hebrew Bible, and then there's the, the Gospels and the Apostolic Writings. If we look at the Apostolic Writings, here in Second Thessalonians uh, 1 and verse 6, I want to just quote this to see the immediate link, and then I want to read it in context. He says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God, to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Remember, we are grafted into Israel, and there are them that trouble Israel, inspired by Satan. 
And it's a righteous thing. When God comes to judge the earth, he will put the earth right. And it's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And Deuteronomy 30 is really the key uh, to understanding the patterns of the Bible. And Moses wrote there that when Israel repents and turns to God, that God will then show himself mighty on behalf of Israel and gather Israel from the four corners of the earth. And all the curses of the Deuteronomic uh, covenant that Israel was suffering, when God finally redeems Israel upon her repentance, those curses he will then turn on Israel's enemies. So they will suffer the curses outlined in Deuteronomy. Now, we who are of the first fruits community, we are the first fruits in repentance. And so God will show himself mighty on our behalf. And he says here, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So we're heading into this time of great tribulation, but this tribulation ultimately will be turned on those who persecute God's people. Now, let's go back and just read the context of this verse. So we see that the same predicament that we read of in Psalm 94 as God declares himself king, or the psalmist is pray, uh, praying to God to declare himself king of the earth and judge of the earth. This same predicament we are in now, and it's a righteous thing for God to take vengeance on the enemies of his people. Now let's just read the, con- the Christian context now uh, for the same predicament from the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. He says this, We are bound... Think of the apostle saying this. We are bound to thank God always for you, you brethren, as it is appropriate. Why? Because that your faith grows exceedingly. Remember, this is in the context of this time of tribulation for God's people. And God's people having to be patient and wait for God to turn the situation around and put this tribulation on God's enemies, the enemies of Israel. In the context of this time of great suffering and persecution, Paul says he, he has no choice. He's bound, he's obligated to give thanks for the brethren. Why? Because that your faith grows, what? Exceedingly. This time of trouble that we're entering into, and so you know, everybody's saying, oh, 2020, what a terrible year. Can't wait to see the back of it. You know, let's... let's, let's um, Move into 2021. Soon we'll be hearing, Happy New Year, Happy New Year. Oh, Happy New Well, they said Happy New Year in 2020. Why do they think 2021 will be better than 2020? What are the indications that indicate to us that, oh, 2021 is going to be so much better than 2020? Or are all the indications that there's there's no relief, that uh, it's just going to go from bad to worse? So here in this time of great trouble, The brethren's faith grows, and it grows exceedingly. So we need not think of these times of trouble as as terrible for the church. If we read the text carefully, the time of trouble is a time that the church's faith can grow exceedingly, preparing for the return of the king. And the love of every one of you all toward each other abounds. Oh, wow. This is absolutely amazing that in this context of great persecution, not only is the brethren's faith growing, it's growing exceedingly. And not only is their faith growing exceedingly, but the love that they have toward each other 
abounds. This is so encouraging. When you read the prophetic word that at the end time, brother will betray brother, it's so encouraging to see that not all. He said many. He didn't say all. Yeah, many, but not all. And that there's always a faithful remnant. And so any time of trouble that we're in and we're going into, we have to see it, brethren, as a wonderful opportunity for our faith to grow and not just grow, but grow exceedingly and the love that we have toward each other to abound. We have to understand that Satan operates at the level of moods and attitudes, dispositions, dispositions of fear and envy and hatred. All of these come from the influence of the demonic world. And Christians must not be caught up in these negative sentiments. So if we are fellowshipping with brethren, and we find ourselves full of you know, attitudes of hostility, this is going to spill over to our relationship with God. The scripture tells us that. So we have to be immune to this and go the other way to allow not only our faith to grow exceedingly, but also our love for one another. He goes on to say, your, 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 your love, your agape of every one of you all toward each other abounds. This is like, Paul is on cloud nine to see how in this time of persecution, their faith is growing, their love is growing. So that we ourselves glory, he says, we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God. Why? For your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Those who endure to the end will be saved, brethren. And here we're seeing an example of brethren who were facing, in their time, unprecedented times. In their time, terrible persecutions and tribulations. And what happened? Their faith grew and their love grew. And Paul was bound. His, his gratitude grew because of what happened amongst them. So the apostles themselves are glorying in the churches of God for your patience and faith. So this is the time. For us to develop patience and faith in all the persecutions and tribulations. We, we haven't got started yet, okay? There's a scripture that says, if you cannot run with the footmen, how are you going to run with the horses? So this is only beginning. And people are like, oh, happy new year. 2021 is just around the corner. It's going to be better. Can't wait to say goodbye to 2020. No. We're ready for even worse in 2021. We're ready to give everything up and stand for Christ. And no matter what happens, you know, the, the way the Hebrew mind is, the day begins at sunset. What does that mean? It means when the day begins, everything goes darker and darker and darker. And yet we have hope that the light will conquer the darkness. That's the way the Hebrew mind should be structured. So we, as we study these scriptures, we are prepared for the worst. A lot of people are going to be losing their minds. A lot of people are just have this superficial hope. And it's founded on nothing. And they're full of fear. They're, they're, they're afraid of the invisible. They're afraid of this pandemic. But they're not afraid of the God of Israel. God is invisible. Who cares? He doesn't exist because he's invisible. The pandemic is invisible, but it's real. And, you know, the state, the, the new religion of the world, or at least the Western world, is statism. You shall have no other God before me, says the state. And everybody bows down. They can't bow down to God, but they'll bow down and they'll be obedient to the state. They can't fear God, but they'll fear the pandemic. 
We cannot be we cannot be uh, hijacked. This our way of thinking cannot be hijacked by this uh, epidemic of fear. We must not be fearful. We must be grounded, and people must see in us a great hope, despite the things that we will see around us. He goes on to say, <clears throat> so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all the persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Now, these persecutions and tribulations that you're enduring, that the brethren are enduring, how does Paul characterize them? He says, this is a manifest, this is an obvious token of the righteous judgment of God. The fact that you are facing all of these persecutions and tribulations faithfully, and that your faith, in fact, is growing exceedingly, and your love to one another abounds, while you're enduring this persecution, well, this is an obvious token of the righteous judgment of God. God is doing something, and he's using you in the process. And so it's obvious to Paul and the apostles, this is an obvious token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And it is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom. And this persecution that you are suffering patiently because you have a vision, you're not caught up with the here and now. You're seeking those things that are above, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. You think it's like, I do nothing. I just call myself a Christian. I put my feet up. I I have all the advantages always, all the time. I never suffer inconvenience. And then I just waltz into the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God, the glory of the kingdom of Israel. No, I think there's a price to be paid. And God is working this opportunity for us in, in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation to stand out as lights and to be found worthy of the kingdom of God. So some are going to be counted unworthy and some are going to be counted worthy. Let's be among those that are counted worthy, for which you also suffer. So, so you're, you're going to be counted for this worthy of kingdom, but you're, being, you're suffering for it. Because of your faith and the way today, let's be right up to date, these Marxists hate Christ. You know, years ago when I started to study all of this, uh, it was clear to me we are on a a, um, spectacular collision course with Islam. Islam is this global movement. They want to take over the whole world, and they hate the God of the Bible. And we love the God of the Bible. And, And I could just see we're on a spectacular collision course. And now in the past few years, as I've been studying Marxism, we're on a spectacular collision course with the Marxists. And the Marxists and the Islamists are cooperating with each other. They hate each other, but they hate Christ more. So they're cooperating with each other, and we're on a spectacular collision course with both. All to the glory of God, that we we will just stay true. And this is a manifest token of our salvation. He says, that we may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. Seeing, and this is now we led up to the verse we started with, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So if we are suffering, not for lying or stealing or murdering or committing sexual immorality, immortality, sorry, immoral immorality, uh, we're not suffering for that. We're suffering for the kingdom. We're suffering for Christ's sake. 
And God says, look, it's a righteous thing, or Paul says, it's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Do you hear Psalm 94? Lift up yourself, O God. Reveal yourself. Show yourself. Well, he is. We're waiting for Jesus to be revealed. To be revealed means he's hidden. People have no idea. They, they take him for granted. They, you, know, you can make jokes about Jesus all day long. Never joke about Muhammad, but you can laugh at Jesus all day long. Lift yourself up, O God. Show yourself, because he's hidden. And because he's hidden, people don't take him seriously. But brethren, I know you do. I know you do. And when he's revealed, our glory and our salvation is revealed with him. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels... Why is he coming with so much might? He's coming to shed blood. And these false ministers who only present Jesus Christ as this cuddly big brother who, who just accepts everything and tolerates everything, they are false ministers. They are liars. And they are deceiving the people. And yeah, many will deceive many. Yes, God is forgiving. Yes, God is merciful. And yes, God is coming to shed a lot of blood and crack open a lot of skulls. And, and destroy the wickedness and the rebellion of mankind. And show mankind his might. He is so patient. He's been patient for thousands of years. But he's going to reveal himself. And he's coming with mighty angels as a warrior. to shed. There's going to be blood all over his garments. This is the Christ we worship. Not just this, you know, hippie in flowing white robes and sandals. Who, who you know, just wouldn't hurt anybody. That's not a true picture or representation of the Christ that we serve. He says, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. This is how God is returning. This is who we're looking for. If we're not looking for this God, we're looking for the wrong God because this is the God that's going to appear with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. This is Psalm 94 come to life by the apostle, the apostle Paul. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many of those who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So when Christ appears, when his, his presence comes, it's a destructive presence for many and it's a glorious presence for some, for the few. Many are called, few are chosen. But for those few that are chosen, this presence we look forward to. And it's a, it's a presence of our glory and salvation. Now, Paul writes something similar to the Philippians. Another righteous growing congregation here. And here in Philippians 1.27, and the study of Philippians is in the archive, but I'll just break in just to show the, the parallel. He says, only let your conduct be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. So the way we should behave, brethren, especially through these times of turmoil and trouble, is to be appropriate to the good news of Christ. So if we understand the gospel, the, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of Israel, if we understand this and we look forward to it, then our behavior should be in accordance with that vision. Now, Paul says that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear their affairs. So, so it's a similar situation now. Your ministers 
would desire to come and be with you physically and teach you and encourage you, but circumstances being what they are, as they were in Paul's day, we can't do that. And so whether we are able to come and see you, the, you know, the, the, the lockdown is lifted and the restrictions are, are relieved and we can come and visit, whether we can do that or not, or we're absent because of this lockdown, we, we may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. And I just saw, I know our brethren out in Kawartha Lakes, uh, they have been meeting in each other's homes, you know, just doing everything, being creative. How can we continue to be together? Our brethren in Ottawa have up to now been able to meet uh, in, in, uh, in a hall. Uh, here in Burlington, we've not been able to do that, but we've been very creative in how we can still teach really the world. We get messages now all over the world, such encouraging uh, messages from the brethren, so much support. Uh, thank you so much for that, brethren. I always share your letters and your emails uh, with my brothers, and we're so encouraged by it. And, and just to know that, wow, you know, when we began this journey back in March and we said, you know, we, we've got to keep, we've got to feed the flock, we've got to find a way. And we just did everything we could to keep the service rolling. Uh, we had no idea that God is going to open this door, use this uh, setback uh, to open this door so that we can preach around the world and have this growing following. And so it's so encouraging when we see we're all standing fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that requires creativity. That means that whatever the obstacles are, because we are oriented all the same way, we just figure out a way around these obstacles. And then he says this, And in nothing, terrified by your adversaries. Fear. Fear is the pandemic today. I would never believe that so many mature adult human beings could be twisted around so quickly in a matter of days, hours, weeks, a few months, less than a year. The whole human population has gone insane and is willing to bow the knee to Baal and do whatever they're told. Why? Because of fear. You know, when Hitler, uh, when um, I forget who it was, uh, I think it was, um, I'm forgetting the, the, the leader of, under Hitler, his name. When he was asked, how did you get so many Germans to follow you during the Nuremberg trials? He said, fear. Fear. And that's what's happening now. People are so irrationally fearful. This, this is a disease. That's called, it's, a real, it's a real thing. But if you're under 70 and relatively healthy, you have a 99.9% .9 chance of recovery. I have a brother-in-law who actually has comorbidities, and he was hit hard by this COVID-19. I, I feared the worst. And in two days, he was back on his feet. So, you know, this is, this, this, this is people get sick. So, no, the state cares for humans so much that nobody must get sick and nobody must die, even though they're now making judgments and making decisions that are going to cause many to die. And many to suffer, but they just care for us so much. And, and adult humans, within a, a matter of a few months, have lost their will, have lost their sense, have lost that, that spirit, that fighting spirit that human beings should have. They're so passive. But in all of this, we who follow Christ cannot be governed by fear. 
So these are adversaries. These are people now who hate us, who want to destroy us. And Paul says to the Philippians, in nothing are you terrified by your adversaries. We're not governed by a spirit of fear. We can be calm, cool, rational, look at the situation, see the situation for what it really is. We're not going to pretend it's not a real um, uh, virus. We're not going to pretend that we cannot die. We're not going to pretend that we cannot uh, suffer persecution. We look at all of that in the eye and say, do your worst, because we stand in Christ. We stand in Christ and in his word. And it's solid. God cannot go back on his word. And therefore, we cannot go back on our faith. In nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. There it is again. So the fact that they come with their worst, and we are nonplussed, which is calm, cool, and collected, because we have a very clear vision. The fact that there's this uh, interaction of the adversaries doing everything they can to take down the followers of Christ and the people of Israel, and the followers of Christ being calm, cool, and collected, this is an obvious token of their perdition, of their destruction. But to you, of salvation and that of God. Same thing he was saying to the Thessalonians, that God is orchestrating this, that this is a great opportunity for us. Don't be discouraged, brethren. Be, be, be invigorated. This is our time. It's going to get worse on the outside, but faith is going to grow on the inside. It's going to get worse on the outside, but the love, the true love, the, the, the true brethren, the love that we have for one another is going to abound. We're going to find creative ways to support and strengthen one another, each one doing according to their gift, and each one needing what the other has, and the body working together in love to edify itself, and all in preparation for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he goes on that this is an obvious, to him, when he looks at the situation of the persecution, uh, the persecutors and the persecuted, and sees what's going on, it's obvious to him that this is a token of their destruction and your salvation, and this is the working of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. This is a gift to you, brethren. This is our gift. That, that what's going on now, there's a select few people that have been given this opportunity in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Have you lost your job? Are you worried about losing your business? Maybe you've lost your family. Maybe you're all alone. All of this suffering, because you will not back down from the oath that you have made to Christ. And, and God, is, the apostle is telling us that this is a gift from God. This suffering is a gift that others don't have. Others will suffer too. This kind of broad stroke judgments that the, the states are making, not the United States, but the state governments that are making, they're destroying many lives. But the other people are just, their lives are being destroyed for no reason, just because those in power want to have fun in the, under the auspices. And I, maybe, you know, let me be fair, not all. I think some really think they're trying to make a difference here, but there is, there's a lot of mischief going on here. Let's not be naive. And many are suffering. But those who are suffering because of Christ, this is a gift in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, 
but also to suffer for his sake. So just wanted to show you this Psalm 94, which is uh, looking forward to the enthronement of Christ. It's alive and well with us today. And, and, and the emotions of the psalmist, we can, we can express these emotions as well. They are righteous emotions. He says, verse 3, Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? This, this is like he's pulling his hair out. He's looking at the situation and saying, how long, O oh Lord? We know, that ven- we know you're going to act. We know it's a righteous thing for the God of judgment to act. But how long? You know, it puts in mind of um, Revelation 6, when the fifth seal is open and the saints cry out, how much longer, O oh Lord? And they're given white robes and they're told to rest a while, just a little longer, until the number is complete. More martyrs, more brethren need to be given this opportunity to suffer and pay the ultimate price for Christ so that they can have the ultimate reward. So just be patient a little longer. How long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? They're triumphing. They're, they're winning. The psalmist, he's not denying they're winning. He just wants to know how much longer. How long shall they utter and speak hard things? They speak hard things and they get away with it. They speak blasphemies and they get away with it. And all the workers of iniquity boast themselves, all of them. Left, right, Marxist, Islamist, all of them are workers of iniquity. And they boast themselves. They're very proud. Remember, um, Satan wants to be like the Most High. So he wants to lift up himself. And he's now working in men to, the reward for serving him is he'll lift, remember his offer to Christ. I'll give you all of this. He wants to lift men up and, and appeal to their vanity because he wants to be worshipped. And so he's willing to give them this sort of temporary honor if he can be honored, which will also be temporary. Now, verse 6. They break in pieces your people. And, and the Hebrew speaks to this. This is a good translation. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. And, and, you know, as you read this, as I read this, I can certainly see in my mind's eye these suicide bombers who hate the Jews. They despise them, the Jews, and they're willing to destroy themselves in order to take out as many Jews as possible. And they literally break these people in pieces. You know, this this religion of peace, and I, you know, there's a piece of you over here and a piece of you over there. Religion of peace. And they're constantly doing this. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. Now, as I was reading this psalm initially, that's what came to mind. But as I continued to read the psalm, it became increasingly clear to me that the enemies of God's people that the psalmist is referring to, while it can refer to these you know, broader movements and, and uh, evil governments and, and, and ideologies, it just became clear to me, these are God's people. This, this is within the covenant community. There are evil people. And you know, as, as we read this, the story of Israel and Judah, these are evil people. Let's, let's not pull punches. The Bible doesn't pull punches. I think we can get into this sort of mindset that, 
you know, if they're Israel, they're righteous. If they're Jewish, they're righteous. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God is righteous. And these people are so stubborn and so evil that if we read the Bible carefully, we should see how God, God should have given up on these people ages ago. He should have dropped them ages ago and taken up with you know, the Arabs or some other people because these people are wicked. And, and I was reading Jeremiah this week, and it just shocked me at how angry God is or was with his people because he's done everything for them, done everything to set them up for success so that they in turn could set up mankind for success. And despite him giving them every advantage, they took every advantage and turned against him. They took every advantage and betrayed him. And you feel the pain of God. God is emotional. God, God had a, a plan for them. And they betrayed him with wickedness and evil and iniquity. And, and, and the anger of God toward these people. And somehow people read the Bible and say, oh, if you're Jewish, you're righteous. Oh, if you're Israel, you're righteous. Even today, you know, if you're Christian, you're righteous. No. No, Christians are not righteous. Christians are evil. All of us are evil. We have this evil inclination. The only difference now is we have the Holy Spirit. But that can't be taken for granted. It, it has to be stirred up. It has to be worked. It has to be developed. It's like a muscle, a spiritual muscle that has to be strengthened. But brethren, if we're not doing our study, if we're not praying, if we're not exercising this muscle, will we be strong against the adversary? So we, do we think just because people are in the church, they're super righteous? Mankind, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And cursed is the man that trusts in man. All we know is God is righteous. His Holy Spirit is righteous. And he, those who repent and are grafted into the first fruits covenant and given the Holy Spirit, uh, that spirit is given to us so that we can be righteous. That, that through the Holy Spirit, we can be righteous. And so the storyline, when we come to understand it, and I hope I don't, people don't fully understand me when I'm trying to teach what God's word teaches, Israel is an evil tribe. Judah is an evil tribe. And I'll go further and say the church is evil. Many will betray. We're dealing with human beings. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh, you know, his arm. So what we can rely on is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. This is what we rely on, and this is what transforms mankind. And this is why the first fruits harvest uh, is, is, is our hope, is the hope of mankind. Is the hope of, that's a good way of putting it. The hope of mankind is the first fruits harvest of Israel. That this is the harvest that God will finally have his way with if we yield to him. If we don't, then we don't. He says. So this breaking in pieces, it seems to me this is within the covenant community. He says, they break in pieces, your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yes, this is wicked governments. Yes, these are people who follow wicked ideologies. But yes, 
This is also within the church. Let's see both sides. Zechariah 14, this is external. This is outside the covenant community. Behold, the day, Zechariah 14, 1. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. So we're looking forward to this day when God raises himself and judges the world. It's coming. And when it comes, or as it comes, Judah, your spoil shall be divided in the midst of you. Judah, God told them, you're a wicked people, and you're going to suffer. This is the narrative we have to understand, and we can't make excuses. We just have to accept this is the reality. Judah's spoil, as prior to the day of the Lord, Judah's spoil shall be divided right in the middle of her. She'll, have, she'll be helpless to defend herself. For I will gather, God is orchestrating this because of the covenant. God is faithful to his covenant. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. So this is what we have to look forward to. We have to watch the Middle East and see how the sentiment of the world, you know, after World War II, it was never again, never again, and there cannot be anti-Semitism. Now we watch as that sentiment disappears, and it's going to be replaced with a sentiment that the Jews have no right to be in Jerusalem, that this is you know, white privilege, and they've got, we've got to get rid of them. And the whole, all nations will agree with this. God is allowing Satan to stir this up. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to do what? To battle. This is either Jerusalem brought this upon, upon herself. And the city shall be taken. This is then, and this is, this is the murdering of the fatherless and all of this. And the houses rifled and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So, or I should read that even. So half the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. They will not be successful. You know, from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. The code means every Jew must be destroyed. But the scripture says they won't be successful. There will be a remnant of the people that will not be removed from the land. And then at that time, when just when they are desperate and they realize they have no hope but God, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations when he, as he fought, as when he fought in the day of battle. So the same way he brought down Pharaoh is the same way he's going to see, uh, we're going to see God rescue his people. Why? Because he's righteous and he will not go against his covenant. And so Christ enables him to uh, fulfill the covenant, the promise that he made with Abraham, even though the people were unfaithful, that through the blood of Christ they can be redeemed, and they will be, as long as they repent according to Moses' writing in Deuteronomy 30. Now, that is external. So Psalm 94 clearly applies externally. What about within the covenant community? Well, we look at Habakkuk. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. This is within the community. And Habakkuk is wondering, why is there this wickedness within the covenant community and, and, and violence even? Therefore, the law is slacked, and judgment never goes forth. So we see what happens to societies when they play loose with the law. And they don't judge equitably. Judgment never goes forth. For the wicked 
does surround the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceeds. So this is all what's happening. Then God says, you know what? Don't worry, Habakkuk. You know, God, Habakkuk accuses God of doing nothing. But God says, no, no, don't worry. I am doing something. Look around you. I'm raising up these nations to destroy my people. And so we just saw that in Zechariah. So yeah, these nations will be punished. But they are actually, the Assyrian is the rod of God's anger. And he is so angry with his people because they are so wicked. And so he has to drive them to repentance. The, the covenant curses, the purpose of the covenant curses is to correct them, to drive them to repentance. Back to um, Psalm 94. Now, so yes, it applies externally and internally. But as we read, continue to read the psalm, in my view, it applies more internally. This has more to do with the covenant community than outside. In fact, it's the faithlessness within the covenant community that causes the curses to come from the outside and enables the wicked to be successful and overpower the covenant community because of the breach of faith within it. Psalm 94 and verse 7. <clears throat> Yet they say, Jehovah shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. So it seems like these people know the God of Jacob. I mean, it's possible it could be, you know, uh, those who are outside, they worship another God, and they say that, you know, the God of Jacob won't see it. But this sounds like people who know the God of Jacob is real. They're just saying he won't see it. He won't, he won't do anything. You know, he's, he's, he's been silent for so many thousands of years that, uh, he, you know, he's like the, 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 the deism where, yeah, there's a God, but he just doesn't do anything. He kind of set everything in motion, but he doesn't do anything. Let's read on now and just show again how I really think this is clearly speaking within the covenant community. He says, Yet they say, The Lord, Jehovah, shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Then he says this, Understand, you brutish, or you stupid, you fools among the people. This, This is where I get the notion that it is the covenant community. Why? Because they're fools, but they're among the people. They're not outside. They're amongst. You brutish, you fools, you stupid idiots among the people. And you fools, when will you be wise? So you have the instruction. You're in the midst of us. You have the same teaching. Why won't you be wise? When will you be wise? And then he goes on to say to them, He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? So these are people who know that there is a creator. These are not atheists. These are people that know there is a God of Jacob. They just um, refuse to think that he is potent, that he can actually do anything. And, And the psalmist is warning them, like, okay, you acknowledge that he created the eye. Do you think he's not seeing? You acknowledge that he created the ear. Do you think he's not hearing? He that chastens, and this is really the giveaway for me. This is the tell. So he's speaking to a people, and he says to these people, look, you know that this God chastises the heathen. So you have access to the scriptures. You've seen what he's done in the past. We, you know, we read the book of Judges and how he raised up these judges. We you know, read uh, Moses' conquest over Pharaoh. We see Joshua and the other judges and their conquest over the enemies over the heathen. So 
whoever he's talking to knows that God chastises the heathen. And so he's reasoning with them to say, look, he that chastises the heathen, shall not he correct? Do you, do you think you're going to get away with this forever? Don't, don't you think that he's going to correct you as well? Just because you're in the covenant community, you think you get to walk free? He that chastises the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teaches man knowledge, shall he not know? The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. So this again is uh, brought forward to the apostolic writings. And here the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians reinforcing this, that the thoughts of men are vanity. It's like, uh, you know, uh, Abel, Evel, called breath because he's just a human being. Uh, The mother just thought, okay, you're, you're not the one. You're just a human being. You're just here for a moment, even if it's uh, you know hundreds of years. You're just here for a moment, and then you're gone. You're like a vapor. Uh, no matter how great men are, they're forgotten. He says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness. This is the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 3.19. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he takes the wise in their own craftiness. God's level is way above man. And these men somehow think they can outsmart God. Paul says he takes the wise in their own craftiness. And again, he quotes the psalm, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. So Paul brings that forward to teach the Corinthians. Therefore, let no man glory in men. And this is actually a problem that we have uh, in the covenant community, in the church, that we glory in men different administrations, different pastors, different organizations, and we want to puff these things up. And and Paul is saying, don't do that. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. So if there's any man that you want to glory in, well, the the only reason he's doing anything of note is because of the Holy Spirit. And the only reason he's doing anything of note with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit gives gifts. And those gifts are not for the man, they're for you. Therefore, all things are yours. So why are you glorying in men? And then going beyond that, some are even glorying in the uh, um, political carnal men. And certainly there are some men that des- deserve respect if they're going to stand up and fight against uh, very powerful, uh, evil people and organizations. Yeah, we want to, you know, Winston Churchill comes to mind. Uh, we want to acknowledge what, we're, what the world would be like if men like this did not stand up. But don't glory in men. Men are just for a moment. For all things are yours. He goes on to say, so so the Christian just understands, God is orchestrating all of this and giving us everything that we need. And we will need men. We'll need each other. But all of that is through God's orchestration. Back to Psalm 94. Blessed Blessed is the man whom you chasten, So this again shows that the psalmist's mind is internal. It's within the covenant community. And he's warning somebody to say, look, you know historically that God chastised the heathen. Don't you think he's going to correct you as well? Do you think you can get away with this? And that's actually a great message. And that's in Psalm 94 and 95. We'll see that's really a, a takeaway learning for those of us alive today. That God is real. And he's going to show himself. And we can't be behaving like the heathen and think that somehow God is a respecter of persons. So he says, blessed is the man 
whom you chasten, O Lord, and teach him out of your law. So he's speaking to somebody who won't be taught, who won't repent, who thinks they can get away with this, who thinks they're crafty. And Paul looks at the psalm and quotes it and says, yeah, he, he, he takes the wise in their own craftiness. So on the other hand, so kind of change gears now, there is the person, there is the man with evil inclinations, as human beings have since the fall of Adam. There is that man, think of King David, who acknowledges his fault, who goes to God, who pleads for more of the Holy Spirit and allows God to chasten and correct him. The psalmist understands this. And blessed is that man whom God chastens. O Lord, and teach him out of your law. And this is quoted uh, by, I believe, the Apostle Paul in Hebrews 12 and verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as children, my son? Despise not you the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. And as this you know, world unfolds, and certainly the nations of uh, Israel and specifically Judah have caused God great anger and wrath upon this people. And we live in this world. And as Christians, first fruits Israel, we're going to get caught up in this dragnet. And God is this multifaceted thinker. And although he's angry with Judah and causing all nations to come against Judah, and Christians may suffer in this changing world. But as Christians suffer, it's part of the program. We're called to suffer for his sake. And that as we go through this calmly, accepting God's will, patiently enduring, all of this is to our salvation. And so we're blessed if we accept these, this chastening. And we do not faint when we're rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives because there's a purifying process. We can't just be with God as we are. There is a process and, and there's something about suffering that works patience and patience works hope. So there's a process here. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every man every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, again, Paul spoke of this endurance to the Thessalonians and to the Philippians and to the Corinthians and all in all his writings. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastening, think Psalm 94, there's this, there's this group of people that are without chastening. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards. Not my words, I'm reading the Bible. Then you are bastards and not sons. So back to Psalm 94. So he says, you know, God, blessed is that man whom God chastens and instructs out of the law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. So all of this that's going on around us, and it's going to accelerate, as we remain calm and faithful, even if it causes us to have to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, which some of us, it's clear, you know, as the world accelerates, some of us may have to do this. It's okay. We're all going to die anyway. But some of us will have this gift of suffering for Christ's sake, 
and then being glorified at a level that is unimaginable. We, it's not, we cannot comprehend it. Eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has in store. But he will give us. There, there will be rest. And that's, you know, we looked last week at the psalm that, that honored the Sabbath, that looked forward to this Sabbath rest. And some are not going to enter this rest, just as anciently this was the case. But if we are chastened, if we allow God to correct us, if we, if we are rebukable, uh, God will give us rest from the days of adversity that are coming until the pit be digged for the wicked. And then he goes on to say here, <clears throat> he says, listen to this very, very carefully. This, this puts paid to replacement theology. Listen to this very, very carefully. Listen. For the Lord, Jehovah, will not cast off his people. Neither will he forsake his inheritance. Well, what do you have to say about that? That when I when I read this, this was like, wow, there it is. The word of God cannot be broken. And there it is. Let's read it again together. So he says that there are those in the covenant community that will be chastened. So yes, there's the first fruits covenant community, but there's also the fall harvest. And when all these nations gather together against Judah, that is a chastening. And Deuteronomy 30 shows us that all of this is leading to a great repentance. So the great tribulation is leading to the great restoration and the great redemption. And these people will repent, and God, all of this is happening. Why? Because God will not forget the covenant. So, so the fact that these people have forgotten the covenant, that does not mean God walks away. This is not like a contract that God says, oh, you're not a faithful wife. I'm, I'm done with you. I'm going to find somebody else. No, it's a covenant. God has covenanted himself. That means he can't get out. <clears throat> he's covenanted. He's given his word. So he can't get out. So he, he will not cast off his people. So all those who say God is done with the Jews, the Jews are his people, and he will not cast them off. For the Lord will not cast off his people. Neither will he forsake his inheritance. Jacob is God's inheritance. That's why this is a time of trouble. It's even the time of Jacob's trouble. It's especially the time of Jacob's trouble. Why? Because he will not forsake his inheritance. God will inherit Jacob. And he will not cast off his people. That they will in fact say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, think of what Jeremiah the prophet said. He said, for I know God, he quoted God saying this, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, Judah. You know, Christians take this and just quote it out. Oh, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. You know, in context, this is speaking of Judah. And Judah is losing hope. And God is saying, look, I know the thoughts that I think to God. God has thoughts towards Judah. He will not cast off his people. He will not forsake his inheritance. And so Jeremiah is able to tell them, God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, not of destruction. And to give you an expected end. In the end, God declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, that is that which is not yet done, saying, my counsel, my plan shall stand. And then he says to Judah, you are my witnesses. You're going to be my proof that I am God. When you're able to declare to the nations, it all happened exactly as God declared thousands of years ago. He says, Psalm 94, verse 15, 
But judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. I'm going to stop there, brethren. There's so much more to say. Uh, so we have the rest of Psalm 94 to cover, and then um, Psalm 95. But these are really powerful psalms. Let's rejoice in the God of Israel. He is the faithful God. Nobody can withstand his purposes. So God willing, we will continue this uh, next week. We'll finish off Psalm 94 and then get into Psalm 95. Uh, brethren, it's, it is a very difficult time. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Let's be encouraging and edifying one another and finding every possible creative way we can because we don't get a rewind. When this is over, it's over. And God has created us for good works in Christ. What a mighty God we serve. God bless you, brethren.